In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. Hello, my name is Harry Call. I'm a surveillance expert, uh, pretty well known in my field. That's neither here nor there. But what you're about to hear is a, a recording, a recording that I made of a conversation between a man and a woman. I recorded it with a, a THX 1138 cell phone bug. You don't need to know the technical specifications, but that's that's how I did it. I, I don't know who they are. I, I don't need to know. I just do the job. But they seem, on a surface level, to be talking about movies. But I think you'll hear that there's there's something more going on that I'm hearing in this conversation, something sinister. <laughs> I think some people might get hurt as a result of this conversation. Maybe just their feelings, but I think people are going to get hurt. Uh, maybe the man is going to hurt the woman. More likely, the woman is going to hurt the man. But <laughs> man, I'll let you, just you really get your digs in, don't you? <laughs> I'll, I'll let you be the judge as you listen to this conversation that I have labeled Craigslist episode 52. Good one. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Carla. Hi, Craig. Long What's time no going? See. <laughs> a long time no see, and we're not seeing each other right now because we're doing FaceTime audio. Yeah. So this is a big deal for us. This is our first experiment into recording in separate cities. We've never done this before. We've always been in the same place at the same time. Poor Ken Plume, who's going to be, <laughs> <laughs> who does all of our audio for everything because he's so nice. Ken is our Harry Call. He is the technical master who's going to take the shit that we give him and clean it up and make it into the wonderful uh, audio pure podcast that you guys hear. But, you know, we we often record with a jazz band like record, you know, in a park where there's people talking, you know, so th there's a lot that he has to clean up sometimes. So. Oh, that was a reference to the movie. That's not something we really do. Because <laughs> who knows? There might be some people who are listening who don't listen, who don't watch the movie. Uh, I hope you watch the movie. You know, I there are a fair amount of Craig's listeners that I know make a point to try to watch the movie the week that we record the podcast or that we release the podcast, and I think that's yeah. admirable. It is. I think there's probably a bunch of people who have seen the movie and they're like, uh, I remember it vaguely. I'll listen to the episode, and then there's other people who are like, I hope to see the movie. I know they're going to spoil it uh, because that's what we do. We do, we spoil these things and we're going to talk a lot about the plot of this movie. So yeah. if you haven't seen the conversation, be prepared. I've also had people be like, I only listen to the ones for the movies that I've seen. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. It is fair. You get to listen to whatever you want. Sure. It's part of being an American <laughs> <laughs> for now. Freedom of podcasts. <laughs> that's right there in the constitution. That you don't have to listen to podcasts you don't want to listen to, and you get to listen, pick and choose the ones that you like. Exactly. Uh, how is Portland, Carla? 
I had a really great morning. I, I've been working really hard and a lot of hours at this theater, first of all. Yeah. And it's really fun, but it's a lot of work, but that's good. I need, I need to be more working girl. <laughs> also on the list. So tights and sneakers. Fingers. Yeah. Um, it is on the list. Working girl, it is not not on the yeah, list. Maybe I'll make you watch that one. Uh, but what was I saying? Oh yeah, so yesterday I had the day off, and today I have the day off. Mind you, when I say that, I still go to the theater at night and either perform or watch shows. But during the day, I've had off, and so this morning I walked to the farmers market, which is just two blocks away, mm-hmm. and there was a light rain and Frankie our dog was with me and she was wearing her blue sweater and it was really fun I bought a bunch of fresh veggies and fruits and like just walked around the neighborhood and said hi to all the neighbors everybody's really friendly um and I'm definitely I'm a I'm a rain fan fan of rain so. <laughs> you're a rain fan yeah. I'm a rain fan so I like walking around when it's just kind of like drizzling out so it, it sounds fun. like a very Portland-esque morning it was yeah it was great it was really fun uh, yesterday, Stacy, who, um, I'm living with my roommate and my boss, <laughs> she, uh, and my friend, she, we went, um, that's a lot of hats for her to wear. Yeah, it is. There's a lot of pressure. Uh, she, we went thrift store thrifting and that was really fun. I got a coat, a Portland coat, um, which is like three sizes too big for me in flannel. So it feels very appropriate. <laughs> Why three sizes too big for you? Because it's so cute. It does look kind of like a working girl, kind of 80s shoulder pad thing. It's really fun. Well, I got let a lot the of river run. on it. I went out to dinner last night and I got the waitress complimented me on it and I felt vindicated. Okay. Uh, so yeah, that was my weekend. But besides that, I've just been working a ton. I miss you. This is nice that we're doing this for the first time. I miss time. you too. Yeah. Because this... we taped so many, recorded so many before I left that we haven't really <clears throat> done a Craigslist like in real time in our lives in several weeks, maybe a month. It's been a while. We should be upfront about where this falls in the recording order. Right. So you, you go ahead and do that because I don't know. I've lost track. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the weeks... The like two weeks before you were leaving for Portland, I actually leave left town first. I had I had a job in Aspen, and so we were like scrambling to record like eight episodes. Yeah. In... This was supposed to have been recorded then. Yes, it was. We watched this movie probably a month ago. Yeah, is it still fresh in your mind? It is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but we watched this movie a while ago, but we knew because this was just you and me that this would take a back seat to scheduling with our guests. Right. So we had PFT, we had MEJ, we had, uh, Who's MEJ? <laughs> Mark Evan Jackson. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> so it sounded like you were saying Emmy J. Emmy J. Yeah. You know her. Um, we had, uh, we had Tawny Newsome. Uh, that's not, been aired yet though that's not been aired yet yeah but uh that's coming up next week we had your friend matt we had our friend james you know so we had to get all these people in uh before you left town and so we're like yeah yeah we'll get around to the conversation you know we'll we'll do that and we just we never did Uh, we'll have the conversation conversation and then we we tried and it was the last night that we were together and we were both like oh I just want to watch TV. <laughs> we were so sick of talking to each other about movies. <laughs> <laughs> that we talked to each other about TV instead. So it was had, a- like you had an early flight and I was like packing and it was just too stressful. So instead of giving you guys like a half-assed sleepy 
podcast. We were like, oh, let's just figure it out. And then we did. Funny enough, Stacy has this amazing podcasting studio in the basement. It's so are you in like a soundproof booth? It's incredible. So there's actually two booths. And I took a picture of one of them, the one that I'm in. But there's one right across the hall. So you can like when you shut the door, there's glass there and you can see. So one person can be in one booth and the other one can be in the other. And she uses a Zoom like we do. So uh, but her setup is really nice. Wow. Fancy mics and stuff. So I feel very lucky. Um, so I got a zoom, you got a zoom. Zoom. All we got to do is a zoom, 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 and a boom, boom. (laughs) Oh, dad. (laughs) (laughs) Is this the era where dads are making rump shaker jokes? (laughs) I I guess, I guess so. It's a 20 plus year old song. So yeah. Oh Oh, man. I am not a dad, but I do make dad jokes. Oh, I was, um, I did a show last night and afterwards one of my students was there, um, my improv students and we were talking and she was born in 1995. Ooh, and it yeah. felt so weird to like be at a bar with <laughs> someone who was born in 1995. 1995. Ah. Wow. Yeah. That's tough. <laughs> how are there, how are there people like that? I don't know. I mean, I know there's kids, I know there's teenagers, but how are there adults that were born in 1995? I know, I know. She's old enough to drink. (laughs) (laughs) It made me feel really old. Uh, And I'm not, I'm not really old, but it made me feel really old. (laughs) That's another reason you need to hang out with me again is so you feel, (laughs) so you feel young. Exactly. Uh, I do miss that. I, yeah, there's a lot of young people in Portland. (laughs) (laughs) Is it a young people's town? No, there's, there's all ages. Mm -hmm. All ages are welcome. (laughs) All ages are welcome. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Well, let's get to, uh, today's episode. Let's do it. That was an update on our lives. Yeah. And I'm doing well too. So, uh, What's up in LA? It's been 95 degrees. Don't it's been really that. fucking hot. It's yeah, it was it today's not as bad, but yeah, it was ni- 95 yesterday in October. Ugh. Rocktober. <sighs> uh Yeah, I feel like October's been the hottest month uh for the last several years in LA, but it's going to cool down next week. Uh it's mostly just me hanging at home with Benny and Bronco who miss you a lot. Mm. Uh Bronco is kind of terminally sick and Benny was sick last week. So it was a lot of just trying to make these animals feel better Aww. is mostly what I'm doing. That's nice and, of you. Isn't it nice to like wake up and have to think about something else besides yourself? Yeah. <laughs> I love that about having animals. It's That's like, oh, the gotta, reason. Got to feed the dog. Got to walk the dog. And then make sure yes. you get out of bed. <laughs> You might stay in bed all day otherwise. Yeah. I wouldn't sleep, but I would just lay there and stare at the ceiling or something. (laughs) Uh, So today's movie is a 19... (laughs) Uh, See, I think about things other than myself. I think about movies. Yeah, you do. Um, It's a 1974 film directed and written by Francis Ford Coppola. And it stars Gene Hackman, uh, John Cazal, uh, Harrison Ford, Robert Duvall, Frederick Forrest, Cindy Williams, 
uh, Alan Garfield, just a wonderful cast all around. And I'm a little phlegmy today. Uh, Drink some tea. <laughs> you need a neti pot. Did you take the neti pot? I did. <laughs> but you can buy them for cheap. They're real cheap. How dare you? <laughs> this movie was nominated for Best Picture in 1974. As I believe I mentioned, it's one of four 1974 Best Picture nominees that are on Craig's list. This is the movie that Coppola made between Godfather Part 1 and Godfather Part 2. Uh, and this was a script that he had been tooling around with since the mid sixties. And it was only after, uh, having such a success with the Godfather, he was allowed to make this smaller, more personal film. And it revolves around Gene Hackman as a surveillance expert, uh, in San Francisco who is hired to do a job where he's recording these two young people having a conversation over time. He starts to suspect that there's more to the conversation than he initially suspected. And, uh, then a, a thriller of sorts unveils from there, but it's a, it's a strange sort of thriller and that it's more of a character study, more kind of revolving around this very private, very quiet man who eavesdrops on people for a living. Mm. Are you intrigued? <laughs> I don't remember one thing about that movie. <laughs> Just kidding. Carla, had you seen this before? I had. Mm -hmm. And what did you remember about it? I remembered... Uh, I remembered the park scene, the opening scene. Mm -hmm. And uh, John Cazal, I remembered. I totally did not remember the ending. I guess it must have been, I don't know. I, I can't remember. I, you know, I've said this on the podcast before. There was a time when like I sat down and watched all the movies that you were supposed to have seen. Yeah. Um, and I think that this was probably in that time. So I'm going to say I was maybe 20, 23, 24, 25, somewhere around there. Okay. And, um, I remembered liking it, thinking how dated it was because of the technology stuff, but that it was still uh, a good story. So that's how I came into the movie. Yeah, it's interesting because the technology, of course, would have been state of the art at the time. Right. Like it would just been like watching like the coolest <laughs> gear mm -hmm. uh, you could possibly look at. But of course, it's all analog, like reel to reel tape recorders right. that he's recorded this thing on. This is pre-digital uh, and everything. But yeah, it does kind of look dated now. Uh I think you mentioned a couple times that you th thought it's time for a remake of this. Did I say that? You did. I think that's true. <laughs> <laughs> if I said it, it must be true. If I said it a couple times, it's absolutely true. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think that um, that would be really interesting. I don't know, like, who would be, who, like, in my dreams, like, who would be great at directing this? I don't know. But maybe uh, what's his butt from... <laughs> <laughs> the guy who did Gone Girl. Uh huh. David Fincher. David Fincher. This feels like he could. It does feel like a David song. Fincher movie. Did yeah. I do good, Craig? You did great. I mean, you remember the name, but I connected it, right? Yeah. Old What's His Butt. <laughs> uh, you actually have some suggestions for the remake uh, in Carla's quote. I do. So, I don't yeah. Anything that I say, I swear. I don't remember thinking that it should be remade. I don't remember saying anything about it being remade. But it's also You're been just, a month. So. It has been a month, so I think these Carlos quotes might surprise you more so than usual. 
<laughs> I'm also surprised I talked because I remember being pretty brain dead by the time we watched this one. You talked a fair amount. Don't worry. Oh, Don't worry. good. I think you're just pure id when you watch a movie of just like, just you're, you're able to translate. This is just general, uh, in life with you, your, your feelings into words very quickly. I'm, I'm more like I have a feeling and then like a couple days later I can articulate what that feeling was. Uh, but you immediately verbalize exactly what you're thinking and feeling at the time that you're thinking and feeling it. I've actually been trying to be better about that since I've been here. Because uh-huh. I'm living with two roommates now. And, so, and it's not it's not like living with your husband and your animals. Exactly. <laughs> like, and even talking to Frankie, my dog, our dog, I'm like, I'm whispering to her. Because I don't want them to hear me saying anything. Because <laughs> you don't want to sound like a crazy person. Yeah. <laughs> and also like I don't know you know just roommate stuff I'm like don't say that Carla just turn around it, it, we've been getting along fine it's not that it's just you know those things where I would just respond yeah when, when I live with you or by myself I can't do you that. have to practice diplomacy yeah you have to be more circumspect yeah it's tough <laughs> uh, well I, I think I've probably seen this movie, oh, close to 10 times over the Whoa, years. Oh, that's too many. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that too many? That's a lot. I like it a lot. It's number 49 on the list. Yeah. All right. Uh, um, and I think it's something that I, I appreciate more and more every time I see it. I think I liked it when I first saw it, which would have been in college, but it didn't really find its way onto the list till maybe viewing three or four. Uh and I think I alluded to this uh, when we did the verdict episode with Paul Newman, uh, that Gene Hackman in this movie is one of my top five performances of mm. all time. Yeah. Uh, He's so great. He's still alive, too, huh? He is still alive. Uh, I believe the last movie he did was Welcome to Mooseport. So that would be a sad way to go, to go out. Do you know what movie I love that he's in that you're probably not going to like? Heartbreakers? I think that's what it's called. It's with him and Sigourney Weaver and Jennifer Love Hewitt. <laughs> oh, I did see that and I did like it. It is so funny. Oh my gosh. That would be a good one for Carla's list because I haven't seen it in a long time. They're a mother and daughter scam team, yes, right? And it's yeah. really funny. It's got a little bit of a dirty, rotten scoundrels vibe to it, right? Oh gosh. There's so many movies that I want to watch that I like. <laughs> well, you know, start your own list, start your own podcast uh, and... <laughs> It feels amazing. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I remember him in that movie. I mean, he's always good. He's always, and for somebody who has like a certain like Gene Hackman vibe, he's got, got a fairly nice range mm-hmm. and, but he always feels very real. Yeah. He always feels very real and grounded. Even in Superman. Yeah. I mean, that's about as over the top as Gene Hackman's going to get. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as that's why I think that performance as Lex Luthor is so like indelible is that he's really not doing like the typical comic book uh, supervillain performance. He really kind of plays Lex Luthor as a fairly like grounded guy. Yeah. <clears throat> and the relationship between him and Ned Beatty as Otis is so oh, great yeah. in that too. Who's the lady uh, in that? Uh, it's Valerie Perrine uh, who Lenny. you from Lenny. 
Yeah. Right. Who played Lenny's uh, Lenny's wife. Gene Hackman, amazingly, not nominated for Best Actor for this performance. That's bonkers. Who in 1974. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit in Carla's quotes. Uh, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll save that. I'll, I'll save that piece of information for later. But I will tell you some of the other performances that were nominated that year were Jack Nicholson for Chinatown, Good one. Al, Pacino, Al Pacino for Godfather Part Two. Good one. Dustin Hoffman and Lenny. Yeah. <laughs> and none of those guys won. Uh, also, Albert Finney was nominated for playing Hercule Poirot in Murder on the Orient Express. Oh, I got to see that before we go see the remake. Didn't we watch the original last year? I think you did. Okay. Uh, I actually, it's fine. It's a, it's a solid uh, murder mystery movie. I would just watch the remake because... Well, I think they actually maybe changed the ending, but I think you might just enjoy the Brana version more, just kind of coming to it from a pure uh, right. position of not remembering the original. Does that come out this holiday season? Yeah, it comes Does out this holiday, holiday season. Movie? We'll watch it in Portland together. Great. I just saw a trailer for it, and I thought it looked great. I love Kenneth Brana. Anyway, those were the other nominees in 1974. Uh, I know, I know. Well, we'll have plenty of opportunity to talk about more about Kenneth Branagh. Dead again. It's on your list. Nope. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, but it's kind of understandable maybe that Hackman was not noticed for this performance because it's so subtle and small. He doesn't talk a lot. Uh, and it, it's a very kind of withdrawn performance, but you can really tell what's going on with this guy at, at all times. And he lives his life very privately. He's got like five locks on his door. There's a scene early on where he, he gets a birthday gift from his landlady. Uh, and he's like, how did you get into my place? Uh, those, I need those locks changed. Uh, I'm going to send my mail to a private address. He has a girlfriend played by Terry Gar that he keeps in another apartment. She doesn't know anything about his life or his work. Uh, and so this guy is trying to stay as anonymous and low key as possible. And he really only has a couple moments of like little, explosions where you kind of get a sense of like what's going on uh beneath right and i first saw this when i was a junior in college specifically beach week uh what's that you don't have a beach week in kentucky <laughs> there's no beach week in kentucky nope. well when you go to college in virginia and you graduate or or the school year ends uh you and a bunch of friends rent a beach house for a week and uh and hang out to celebrate and i think i did that like three years in a row in college because uh, i had senior friends every year this was my junior year and probably like 15 of us rented this beach house in nagshead north carolina and i had uh Checked out the conversation from the library on VHS. <laughs> this this was a time where I was trying to watch as many classic movies as possible uh, from the library. And I brought the tape with me. I don't know if I was thinking of like, oh, this will be a good party movie for everyone to sit down and watch. <laughs> but I think I actually just – I sat down in the middle of the day when everybody else was at the beach and started watching it uh, at the house. And uh, my friend – 
who was the best actress in our theater department, who I had a bit of a talent crush and a real crush on, came in in the middle of the movie and started watching it. And uh, it was in the middle of the scene where he and John Cazale are kind of arguing over the tape because John Cazale wants to know. He plays his assistant. Uh, and he wants to know, like, what, what, what is it? Well, who are these people and what's going on? Why are we doing this job anyway? You know, aren't you curious? Uh, and Gene Hackman has a speech that I wrote down, uh, where he ha- it is one of the few times where he kind of has a little explosion and he, and he says, uh, listen, if there's one surefire rule that I've learned in this business. Is that I don't know anything about human nature. I don't, I don't know anything about curiosity. I don't, that's not part of what I do, but what I, this is my business. And when I'm, and that's an exact transcript of what he says. And then he just kind of cuts off as if he's already said too much and revealed too much of himself and he doesn't want to talk anymore. And uh, my friend who had just come in and started watching that movie said, that's the best acting I've ever seen. <laughs> and you're like, I love you. And do you know what her name was? Um, April. <laughs> <laughs> Why April? I don't know. Her name was Carla. What? <laughs> Her name was Carla. I wasn't there. No, you weren't there. This was my friend, uh, Carla. That can't be true. Yeah, it's true. I don't like this story. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like that I know somebody else named Carla? No. Or that you already had a crush on a Carla before you met me? That seems inappropriate. <laughs> Well, she was the best actress in the theater department and just the fact that uh that I knew that she knew what good acting was. I'm like, yeah, you're right. He's really good. <laughs> He's really good in that scene. Uh And he is like it's I don't know to what degree that line was improvised. Like it couldn't have been written exactly like that because there's so many like false starts uh in it and like half thoughts. And then the fact that he just kind of cuts off in the middle like that. That's the kind of thing that no screenwriter would write it that way. Uh, but I, I think it is really indicative of how natural and, and real his performance is. What did you think of Gene Hackman in this role? I thought he was a plus. <laughs> I was like, that seems like a Gene Hackman thing. To do. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> what about the experience of the movie overall? Because, well, I didn't enjoy it this as much this time. Okay. But, that's not to say it's not a great movie. I think it was more just where I was in my life when I rewatched it. We were just really busy and I was packing and it felt kind of like a hassle. And it's a slower movie. So I was like, come on, get to it. Let's do this. It's very 70s in that way. And yeah. that it's slow. I and actually it- really enjoy normally, but I just wasn't in the right mind set to sit down and watch it, I don't think. Also, the nature of the movie, of this particular movie, is to withhold information from you. Right. Uh, Which I liked. Yeah. Uh, so you appreciate it more than enjoy it. Is yes, that fair? I, I know that I enjoyed it the first time I saw it. Because like I said, I came in thinking, <clears> oh, this was a movie that I'd seen that I had liked. So maybe this was a case where you just weren't in the right mood at the right time. I think so. I think that's okay. what it was. Um, but the ending, you know, I'm, I know we'll get there, but the ending is so fantastic and pays off everything so nicely. Yeah. Uh, what about other actors in the movie? Did anybody stand out to you? I love me some Harrison Ford. <laughs> 
Super handsome. Yeah. He, he had done American Graffiti the year before, which Coppola produced. Um, you know, Coppola and George Lucas were part of a collective of filmmakers in the Bay Area. Oh, I uh, know. Yes. Uh, and they had a company called American Zoetrope. Um, have you seen American Graffiti recently? I've never seen it. Never seen it? Oh. I'm sorry. It's very good. It's I know, just, I want to see it. it's just outside of Craig's list, but it's, uh, that's a movie that's actually fun. And we know you love some Dreyfus. I do. So that's got Dreyfus. That's got Harrison Ford. It's got Ron Howard in his right. acting days. Yeah. And it's got Cindy Williams, uh, who, of course, Shirley Feeney from Laverne and Shirley, mm-hmm. who plays the young woman on the tape in the conversation as well. So, you know, it, it's all kind of like the same family of actors and filmmakers who worked on a lot of Lucas and Coppola's movies uh, at the same time. Uh, anybody else that you liked in this movie? John Cazal, um, the other guy from The Godfather, who his name is, I forget. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Duvall. So, yeah, like three or four years ago, there was this uh, Hollywood reporter roundtable thing. And they put put up the videos online. And it's just really funny because he's just being cranky. And he's an older gentleman. He's and a cranky old man. He doesn't give a shit. No, I don't even know why he was there. I mean, he was there because he was nominated <laughs> for something. But it was just kind of like he clearly didn't want to be there. And he had the grumpiest answers for everything. And uh, But he wasn't wrong necessarily in what he yes. was saying. It was just like not you could tell that he was like not reading the room at all <laughs> no filter no filter and it's like carla at home yes it, well i'm not that cranky but he said something and mark ruffalo starts like smirking and then he elbows colin firth <laughs> and colin firth <laughs> looks at him out of this corner of his eye and smirks but you can tell like colin firth like stop stop yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny we have to post it i'm gonna watch it today Okay, yeah. So uh, please send it to me, and then I will pass it on to Craig's listeners. Oh man, yeah. it's so weird because those are always awkward. There's another one. Oh, we we don't need to get into this, but there was another one where Helen Hunt said something that pissed off Amy Adams. It might have been the same <laughs> year, and it's just so fun to watch celebrities be real for a second. Yeah, uh, you know what it was? It was the Judge, which is that terrible movie that he did with Robert Downey Jr. Okay, that was it was just awful and he just got nominated because he's robert duvall and he's still alive right. it's like oh robert duvall's still alive <laughs> let's give him and a nomination okay. yes yeah. uh robert duvall and gene hackman do have one brief scene in this movie together and a great uh, scene. famously they were uh roommates back in new york in their early days along with uh dustin hoffman weird uh those three cats were living together <laughs> uh <laughs> One performance I really do like in this movie is Alan Garfield, who plays William P. Moran, which is the rival uh, surveillance expert of oh, yeah. uh, Harry mm-hmm. Call. He's great. And uh, do you remember what else you saw him in? Nope. On Craigslist? Nope. Uh, he's in Nashville, oh. uh, along with every other actor from the 70s. Uh, he plays Ronnie Blakely, uh, Barbara Jean's manager husband oh, yeah. uh, in the movie. Slime bag. Yeah. He's a slime bag. He's a slime bag in that movie and in this movie. But he's just one of those great like 70s character actor types. And he's the guy who's kind of like loud and blustery, the polar opposite of Harry Call, and is always kind of getting under Gene Hackman's skin there. 
And I watched the uh, commentary track on the DVD that Coppola did, which is a really great commentary track. And there's a lot of good like pieces of information. And he said that Garfield did a lot of uh, improvisation uh, in this movie. Like when he's at the they have a like a trade show for all the surveillance people, which apparently was a real trade show that they went to to film at. <laughs> and uh, and he's kind of like showing off his bugs and wiretaps to people. And he's like, hey, you could call anywhere. You could call Detroit or uh, Moscow. I say Moscow because you look a little Russian there, sir, with the beard. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and just the idea of talking about uh, Russian surveillance, you know, does make this movie kind of timely in yeah. uh, two th- 2017. So maybe it is primed for a remake. Uh, well, let's let's go chronologically through this movie a little bit with a segment that we like to call Carla's Quotes. She's feeling her oats and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carla's Quotes. And you have no memory of saying any of this stuff. <laughs> More so than usual. Uh, here's Carla as the movie is coming in over the opening credits. I remember this looking very 70s, <laughs> which is true. Uh, it's really kind of a, a cool disorienting beginning because it starts with a crane or helicopter shot of Union Square in uh in san francisco which is the park where they're kind of doing this surveillance there's uh gene hackman and a couple of his operatives that are kind of like walking around the park with various mics there's a there's like a it looks like a sniper rifle but it's a mic that's like up in a window like overlooking the park and so it's kind of a cool beginning and the the audio you hear like some of the like the the little audio like squeaks and hisses and you hear kind of like that that oh, digital sound yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and i listened uh to part of the co- the other commentary track which is by walter murch do you know who walter murch is nope he is one of the most famous film editors and sound designers he's both and he was a big part of what made the conversation great because Coppola pretty much turned over this movie to Walter Murch because he had to start pre-production on Godfather 2 and didn't have time to finish it. And they took a, uh, Walter Murch took like a five hour rough cut of this movie and kind of created a lot of the, the story of it. But apparently they really did have the problem with their audio. Uh, in, in the park where they didn't get everything that they needed to get. And oh, so they wow. left in some of the actual mistakes that, uh, you know, like interference and, uh, you know, like microwave sounds that were, that were getting, oh, cause radio mics were very new at the time. And so they really didn't get everything they needed from the actors. <laughs> Uh, there, so he kind of left it in. And so you kind of hear what Harry Call would hear in listening to the audio. Cool. Uh, uh, and there's actually a book called The Conversations, Walter Murch and the Art of Editing Film that is the best book on film that I have ever read. Mm. And it's by Michael Ondaatje, I think is how you say his name, who's the author who wrote The English Patient. And so oh. Walter Murch was the editor on The English Patient as well. Do you have that book? I have that book. Uh, it's up there with Hitchcock Truffaut and Cameron Crowe's book with Billy Wilder of the great film conversations. Uh, but it talks very specifically about what Walter Murch has done with sound and editing, uh, specifically. And it's, it's really great. Cool. A lot of, a lot of good nuggets in there as well. 
anyway, back to Carla's quotes. Uh, there's a jazz band that's kind of playing in the park for all the, uh, the San Francisco lunchgoers, and there's a jazz singer, and Carla said, is that Liza? <laughs> That's pretty funny. You you would have been so excited for this movie if Liza Minnelli oh had been God. in it as well. Uh, do you like Cabaret? I do. Yeah, that's a pretty good movie. List, huh? Not not on my list, no. Oh. Uh, but that movie won seven Oscars the year that Godfather was out. It actually topped Godfather in Oscars. Godfather did win for film for best film. Uh, but Cabaret won Best Director for Fosse over Coppola, Crazy. Uh, that movie. So it actually it topped Godfather's number of Oscars. Um, yeah, Carla said they should remake this movie. Uh, I, I think this was because we had just seen Jaws and we were having a lot of conversations about people looking older back in the 70s. <laughs> and so Carla, I believe jokingly said, was Gene Hackman like 26 when he made this? <laughs> <laughs> uh he was 44 uh at the time younger than i am now uh but when he gets a birthday card from his landlady it says 44 but then later when he has the scene with terry gar and she asks him how old he is he says 42 confusing uh because i think he doesn't like to reveal anything about himself like his real birthday and then Frederick Forrest and Cindy Williams play the uh, the young couple that they are surveilling. And then they pass a homeless man on the bench. And she says, oh, look at that. That's awful. I just see something like that. And I wonder, like, where are his mothers and his fathers and his uncles? And Carla said, oh, my God, I think that, too. <laughs> As you were recounting the story and you were re-saying what she says, I was thinking that. <laughs> You're nothing if not consistent, Carla. <laughs> I did. I passed a homeless person this morning and I thought that like, oh, where are his uncles? Where's his family? Oh. Yeah. Uh, you saw, you saw Harrison Ford's name in the credits and you kept guessing as to who he would be. And then <laughs> saying that other actors that were clearly not Harrison Ford were Harrison Ford. Uh, so w they have one guy who's like a, a cop. Uh, who's like carrying around a shopping bag and his like recording equipment is hidden there. And then they see him at one point and John Cazale's like, come back to the truck, man. They made you. And Carla said, they made you, Harrison Ford. You're too famous. <laughs> <laughs> they recognized you in the streets. <laughs> oh, now it's, it's not Harrison Ford though. And, oh. uh, and Harrison Ford would not have been known at the time. Uh, he'd pretty much had done American graffiti and, and that was it. Um, yeah, some of the things like watching the Coppola commentary track, uh, they did a lot with like stationary camera as if the camera was a surveillance camera itself. And cool. Gene Hackman will kind of wander in and out of the frame. So the camera doesn't necessarily follow him. Uh, but then when it does, it, uh, it pans very mechanically left and right as if it's one of those security cameras in the corner of a room that oh, just kind of wow. scans the room panning left and right. So that was something very specifically they did to make you feel like you're eavesdropping on Harry Call in this movie. Not to focus too much on Harrison Ford, but for one second. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll get to him. There's a lot more. I know, but it's so interesting that he got hired to play this guy who's like a businessman um, and very like buttoned up and not like a casual 
kind of guy. Yeah. And then he became so famous for being like, you know, your best friend type character. The coolest man alive. Whatever. Yeah. 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 That's what's on his mind or whatever. Apparently the, the part he plays is he plays the director's assistant. And that's another thing I like about this movie in the, in the tone of like seventies conspiracy thrillers of like, you don't really even know, you, you never know the whole story of what even happened. Uh, you only know what Harry Call knows when he knows it. So he's, it's some sort of corporation. It's not clear what they do. Uh, the person who's hired him is Robert Duvall, who's only known as the director. Uh, and so Harrison Ford is always like the director would very much like to, uh, hear the tapes. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently the part of the secretary was very underwritten in the script. And then they brought in Harrison Ford because he was a friend of theirs and done American graffiti with them. And apparently he added so much personality to this character. Uh, I guess in his mind, he was playing the character gay. He gave him, uh, a, a very specific wardrobe. And then so the, they gave him more scenes. Uh, that had not been originally in the script because they, they thought Harrison Ford was so menacing and so good, uh, in this. And he, he really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so weird though. <laughs> what was your character choice? Gay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that was the whole of it, but I think that was a part of who he saw this guy mm-hmm. as. Um, yeah, and Terry Gar in kind of the thankless girlfriend role. She only has one scene, but it is a memorable scene. Mm-hmm. Um, is it only one scene? That's funny because I yeah, thought, I thought she it is only one scene. Uh, and Carla said, "Terry Gar, oh, I forgot she was in this." Yeah, she's so great. Uh, I reread the Roger Ebert uh, great movies review for this movie as well. And he kind of had a funny take on it, which is the kind of the opposite of maybe of what the filmmakers want you to think, because he's like, this movie is a movie about a guy who's bad at his job <laughs> because you kept you're told continuously through the movie that Harry Call is the greatest surveillance expert in the country. Mm-hmm. But over the course of the movie, he like his landlady somehow like gets a birthday card and a bottle of wine into his apartment, which has mm-hmm. five locks on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets bugged by William P. Moran, his rival. Uh, when he has the scene with Terry Gar, she's like, yeah, I caught you one time, like hovering over my apartment and looking in, like what was going on in your head that time. So, uh, constantly all the things that supposedly he thinks he's good at, uh, get compromised over the course of the movie till by the end, he's convinced that somebody has bugged him, uh, in his apartment. Yeah. I get what Roger Ebert's saying there, but I don't think that that's. It, to me, it's more of a movie about a man who's been so perfect at his job for so long that he starts to crack. Like yeah. he can't hold it together anymore. And so all of those things are just kind of leading up to him doing the number one thing he's not supposed to do, which is to, to follow up and like yeah. try to find out what's actually going on. Like he's just a hired guy just to record this conversation <clears throat> and become so personally invested. Yeah. Which he's not supposed to do. Um, but it's not that he's, to me, it's not that he's bad at his job. It's just that he, he has lived his job for so long that he can no longer just be yeah. detached from the situation. I, I think that's the right take on it. It was, it was just amused me that that was Ebert's take. Oh, Ebert. <laughs> um, I, another interesting nugget that I got from the Coppola commentary and from the merch book was that, 
Uh, they were inspired, first of all, by when Billy Wilder made The Apartment, he specifically was thinking of the movie Brief Encounter, which is a famous uh, romantic drama from the 40s that David Lean did. And uh, there's a character in that movie, a brief character of the guy who – uh, rents his apartment out to uh, to couples who want to have affairs. And so Billy Wilder was like, let's make a movie about that guy. What's his story? So that became The Apartment with Jack oh, Lemmon. Wow. So similarly, I think they're thinking about in a typical thriller or spy movie, you've got one scene with the surveillance guy who's like, hey, here's the tape. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So it's like following the peripheral character who is not normally the main character in, in these kind of movies. That was their inspiration for making the conversation. That's so cool. I love it. In the scene, the bedroom scene with Terry Gar, she's kind of wearing a, uh, a T-shirt and she's got tube socks like pulled up to her knees. And Carly said, look at those socks. I do that too. <laughs> Carla said, this feels like if it were made today, it would be on HBO and it would be a miniseries. And it would star the guy from The Wire. <laughs> <laughs> it does feel like that, doesn't it? Uh, so do you mean Dominic West? Yeah. Okay. And, and The Affair as well. Right. Yeah. Jimmy McNulty from The Wire. Uh, that's a good call. Yeah. I'd make that. I'd make that <laughs> yeah. miniseries. This was around the time of the Watergate tapes. Uh, but Coppola says that's purely like coincidental because he, again, he had come up with the movie in the sixties and they had made it and edited it before all of like Nixon's surveillance, uh, had really been made public. But I think that's one reason that it became kind of indelible in the public's mind that this was actually a Watergate movie. Uh, it was the, the whole idea of tapes, but it was purely coincidental. Interesting. When Harrison Ford did make his first appearance, this is what you said. Hi, Harrison Ford, you sexy little sex man. <laughs> <laughs> and then commenting on yourself, you said, pretty funny, really funny. <laughs> <laughs> this is punchy, about ready to pack for Portland, Carlo. <laughs> Hi, Harrison Ford, you sexy little sex man. <laughs> Are you going to see Blade Runner 2049? I'm not. I've never saw the first one. Uh, I just watched it Friday. How was it? I would say it's more cool than good. Okay. And I also listened to the Slate <coughs> Gabfest spoiler special about it. And their uh -huh. main point was, if you haven't seen the original, there is no reason for you to see this movie. Okay. Um. The original is fantastic, not on the list, but uh, a great movie. I feel like I've seen parts of it. Like I, I know the look of it or something. Maybe I saw it when I was a kid. I just don't remember. It's visually one of the most incredible movies of all time. And I would say the sequel is it's, uh, it's Roger Deakins did the cinematography for it. Oh, that guy. The production design is incredible. It's one of the best looking movies you will ever see. Like, but so it's I like, have to see it is what you're saying. It's also two hours and 49 minutes. No, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> no fucking way. <laughs> it's very long. It's very long and it's, it's kind of like slow and thoughtful. So it's not a very, uh, eventful movie. It's very much like a thinking person's sci-fi movie. Okay. So I think you can probably skip it, though it looks incredible. I will skip it. 
All right. Um, and Harry Call is uh, is Catholic, by the way, and he goes in uh, to uh, to confess to a uh, a priest. And Carla said, "Oh, where is it?" Oh, he said, <laughs> "She said, why is the Catholic Church such a creepy place? Look how creepy that looks." <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think it's lit specifically to be creepy. I think that's it's just, just a your creepy place. That's just your association with the Catholic Church. Um too bad we couldn't cover um Spotlight or uh the Keepers on this show because uh things where the Catholic Church or the villain really get Carla excited. <laughs> They're my sports movies. <laughs> they are your sports movies. But uh, it's only when the good guys win. They're my sports movies. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he's got three different tape recorders lined up with the three different tapes that were from three different sources. And then he's kind of syncing them together. And so there's a shot where you see tape A, tape B, tape C. And then Carlos said D E F G H I J K L M N O P Q R S T U V W X Y Z. You literally said the entire alphabet out loud. That was a dumb thing to do. When they go to the convention, uh, everybody's like, oh, you're Harry Call. And Carla's like, he's supposed to be a famous guy who listens in on conversations. Yeah, that didn't make sense to me. <laughs> but I guess then you said, no, it's in, it's like they're, they all do the same thing. So they know each other. It's like the improv teacher world. <laughs> like I'm a famous improv teacher <laughs> to about 12 other improv teachers. Right. <laughs> It's you know it's right. the, it it's the biz you know what it's uh, it was just it, weird because it's like it's a shop talk public, it's like a convention center almost yes and, or maybe it, it exactly is <laughs> and, and it's just weird that they're like Harry, Harry whatever his name is yeah it's just weird Harry. he's supposed to be not seen yeah he he wears this plastic raincoat uh, over his suit throughout the movie and. When uh, when Coppola came up with the character, he had imagined his last name Call C A L L, like uh, recording a phone call. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his secretary mistranscribed it as C A U L, and a, and so a call is a membrane uh, that can appear over a baby in a fetus to protect it from drowning. And so then Coppola decided to add this motif throughout of constantly seeing Harry behind like plastic sheeting and, and stuff like that. And so his plastic raincoat is supposed to be a call, a C A U L membrane covering That's him. That's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's cool, but it's, yeah, it's interesting. <clears throat> Uh, then Harrison Ford resurfaces at the wiretappers convention uh, to try to intimidate Harry to turn in the tapes because he started to suspect that something is up about these tapes uh, mm-hmm. and he won't turn them in to Harrison Ford. And Carla said, "Uh oh, Harrison Ford. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. And at the buggers convention, everybody's kind of trying to outdo each other. And then they have a little house party, like back at Harry's uh, lab where he does all of his work. Like they all like go back with a bunch of booze and some of the showgirls from the convention to have the like this little boozy party. And then Stan, who is John Cazale's character, is now working for Moran, 
which uh, Harry finds out uh, at the convention. And so there's this this woman, like this convention girl, who's just kind of hanging out and starting to dance with him and everything. Uh, and uh, and she says, I wish we could be friends. And Carla said, he has a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> he has a girlfriend that he's mistreating. You don't want to be the side girlfriend that he's mistreating. <laughs> you can't be a little... She she talks like this, although I don't think she did. <laughs> no, she she didn't. But I think she is that that character. She's yeah. that character from uh, what is it? You know, the musical "Singing in the Rain." Singing in the Rain. Lena Lamont. Yeah, that's what she felt like. <laughs> no, she sounds nothing like that character. <laughs> I don't know. In my memory, that's how she sounded. <laughs> uh, the entire score for this. <laughs> Is uh, is a jazzy piano, and Carla said, "I don't know about the score for this." <laughs> Feels like a Dasarisky show. <laughs> <laughs> How so? You guys always start with jazz music. Oh yeah, that's that's right. That is right. I know. I've seen okay. a thousand of your shows. Dasarisky is my three man improv troupe for the uninitiated. And Dassy likes to, Bob Dassy in the group. Always says it's like a jazz show. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so that so the score negatively reminded you of my no, improv shows. No, not negatively. The composer, by the way, David Shire, who was Coppola's brother-in-law from the Shire. From the Shire, he is a Hobbit from the Shire. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, no, he was married to Coppola's sister Talia, Talia Shire, uh, i.e., Connie from the Godfather movies and Adrian from the Rocky movies, and Jason Schwartzman's mom. Uh, but this was her first husband, David Shire, who apparently was a jazz, uh, piano player and film composer. And he recorded the entire score ahead of time and they would play it on set. Cool. So it was not scored to specific moments in the movie. It was written, uh, ahead of time. At one point, uh, because it's, it's a party with men in the seventies who were all drunk, uh, Gene Hackman starts to tell a joke and he says, did you hear about the, uh, gay slur, uh, wiretapper and, uh, who, uh, can only, uh, tap a princess phone, I think is the payoff to that joke. And cool. Carla said, let's not tell that joke. <laughs> it is, it is always interesting watching these old movies to see, you know, the, how those... badly people were made to feel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and I don't, I, I honestly don't know at the time if that's something that they wanted to reflect badly on Harry. Probably not. I mean, right. it's probably just the way that somebody like him would talk at the time. And so it turns out this, uh, this woman, uh, that's been hanging out with Gene Hackman all night is only there to steal the tapes from him. She's been hired to steal the tapes. Uh, and so again, he's made a mistake of like letting somebody get uh, too close to him because they hooked up. Because they, they hooked up, and then she stole his tapes. And then he calls uh, the office with Harrison Ford again to like uh, find out what's going on. And I think he's calling from a payphone when they're like, and they're like, "We'll uh, we'll get in touch with you." And he's like, "You don't have my telephone number." And Carla said, "Star sixty nine, dude, write it down." <laughs> Remember Star 69? Oh, that was the best. It was so good. <laughs> you couldn't be a creeper anymore. Nope. You can't prank call me. 
Uh, did you ever star 69 somebody who prank called you? Oh, yeah. Really? <laughs> did you get a lot of prank calls? Not a lot, but I got enough. I wasn't super popular. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you have to I be popular to get a prank people. call? I yeah. prank called people. Did somebody star 69 you? Oh, yeah. I got in trouble a couple times. <laughs> did you ever call 911 when you were a kid just because you were like, I wonder... I wonder what will happen. <laughs> no, I was way too much of a rule follower. I was a good kid. I did call 911 one time and then I hung up and then they uh-huh. called back. <laughs> <laughs> and my mom got really mad at me. And yeah, she like, should. But yeah, but you're like eight or whatever, or seven, and you're just like, I just wanted to see what that felt like to cross that line. <laughs> what a terrible waste of resources. <laughs> Of course. Okay. But you're talking like an adult when you're a kid yes. and you don't know, you've like heard something's bad, but you don't know what that means. You have yeah. to figure it out. I get it. You have I to see it. how it feels. It felt bad. <laughs> Through experience. Exactly. Like that time I shoplifted. <laughs> <laughs> what did you shoplift? I shoplifted magazines from the library. <laughs> magazines from a library? Yeah. And so it's I, not even it's not even something that had a cost. No. It was something you could have checked out for free or perused for free at the library. The alarm went off and they went through my backpack and my mom was so furious. What magazines were they, do you recall? Yeah, they had Bette Midler articles in them. <laughs> <laughs> I got grounded for like two or three weeks. Like it was way too much. Wow. Oh. I never shoplifted again, though. So you were trying to smuggle out Bette Midler contraband. Yeah. I was like 10 or 11. That says so much about you. (laughs) But they were, it was before the internet. I couldn't like just look up these articles and I wanted them for my (laughs) scrapbook. And it was just the library. And who else would want these Bette Midler things from in the middle of Kentucky? Like nobody cared. Now everything you want to know about Bette Midler is available to you all the time. Exactly. Do you constantly Google her? <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then finally we meet Robert Duvall, the director uh, that uh, Gene Hackman goes to get his payment. Uh, and so we kind of see the office and we see him listening to this tape uh, that Harry's been listening to throughout the movie. And then uh, there's a brief shot of a bowl of walnuts. And Carla said – Oh, my grandpa had those walnuts. I, <laughs> <laughs> I hated them. I thought they were so gross. <laughs> I forgot that. <laughs> yeah, I, I do not like, only very recently will I eat walnuts when they're in one of those trail mix bags that yeah. I get from Trader Joe's. But I will never. But then they're out of the shell. Yeah. Yeah. But that never, was. Like, oh, my grandpa was so gross too. Like he just. <laughs> be crunching those all day long i do associate that as like an old person thing at the time because i remember going to my grandparents house and my like aunt's house and they would always have a bowl of walnuts next to a nutcracker yes like a silver yeah whatever yeah and no nobody does that now nobody has a bowl of walnuts in your house (laughs) well now you can get them you know unshelled yes maybe you could then too and they just wanted to work out Somebody in a third world country is shelling those uh, walnuts for you. Maybe when you die. (laughs) Maybe that's hell. (laughs) (laughs) Is just cracking walnuts all day? Maybe, yeah. Yeah. And so that's what Coppola meant in that shot of like, this is hell. (laughs) 
We're not in reality now. This is hell. You know how I said I was like 10 or 11 when I stole those magazines? I think I was actually 14. <laughs> oh, that's so much worse. You knew right from wrong. I think I was in high school, like a freshman. Oh, high Carla. Or eighth grade. Was this around For the Boys? No, this was after that. After For the Boys. Okay. <laughs> okay. Are we almost done with this? <laughs> I have a lot of stuff to do. Oh, wow. Look look who's all fancy and has a big job in Portland. I'm just dicking around on a Sunday here. Um, He finally gets paid. Uh, he gets paid $15,000. And as he's leaving, there's a shot of him like outside the building. And then he kind of throws away uh, the envelope and disgust and carla said no fifteen thousand dollars <laughs> you did all that work yeah so carla's sense of morality is topped by her love of money yeah uh but he did does go back and get the money yeah um so then we must have had a conversation about the oscars and i was explaining the uh the 1974 best actor race okay. and then it turned out the winner that year was Art Carney for Harry and Tonto. Oh, and you were like, what? <laughs> you were like, what? That's bullshit. And I said, it's a movie about an old man who travels cross country with his cat. And Carla said, actually, that sounds right up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I did see that. <laughs> have you seen it? I have seen it. Is it good? It's kind of dated, but it's good. Okay. It's a Paul Mazursky film. And uh, Art Carney is wonderful in it. Who's Art Garney? Art Carney. Art Carney. <laughs> I don't That's know. Not I, don't a real know. I don't know who Art Garney is. <laughs> Art Carney yeah. is best known as Ed Norton from the Honeymooners. Okay. Do you know what that is? I know what the Honeymooners is. Is he okay. the neighbor or something? Yeah, it's Ralph Cramden and Ed Norton. He plays okay. the uh, the wacky neighbor. So he's basically he's who Barney Rubble was based off of. Okay. Uh, cause the Flintstones is a remake of the Honeymooners. Got it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just coughing over here. No, that's okay. Uh, so then Harry, uh, the whole time there's been this talk in the conversation, he starts to undercover it, uncover it. He keeps hearing this phrase, he'd kill us if he get the chance. And so he suspects that the director, Robert Duvall, is going to kill these two young people. And so they also, they say the name of a hotel, the Jack Tar Hotel, room whatever, 1708. And so he goes to the hotel and gets the adjacent room so he can kind of eavesdrop into to what's going on. And then, like, the closest this movie gets to being a thriller is when he's in the adjacent room and he, he hears a scream and he sees, like, a bloody handprint, uh, on the, like, adjacent screen. But it's not clear whether this is all in his imagination or if it's really happening. Yeah, it's really good. And then he breaks into the room. It's scary. It's scary. And doesn't, there's no sign that anybody was ever there. There's no sign of any violence or anything. And then finally he flushes the toilet and rivulets of blood come pouring out of the toilet. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, Which we it's, also don't know if that's real or not, right? We don't know if that's real either. Yeah. So, but we you forgot to mention one thing, which is that he gets to the room next door to the room that they're going to be in. He mm -hmm. sets up his microphones like he tries to put one through the wall, through the yes. bathroom. He can only hear muffled arguing. Yes. He goes outside on the balcony 
and he looks over and that's when he sees someone's hand, bloody hand go up against the screen. And yeah. he, he kind of screams, maybe not like verbally, <clears throat> but he freaks out. He comes back inside. He turns on the TV and he falls asleep. <laughs> yeah. He cover he covers himself up with the covers. Yeah. Yeah. He hides under the covers and he turns up the TV really loud and he falls asleep and you don't know how long he sleeps for. And then when he wakes up, Right? Did I get that? Yeah, he was you got it totally right. Yeah, he goes next door and does everything that you just said, and it's just so weird that he's like, "This terrible thing's happening. I'm going to go to bed." <laughs> yeah. Well, I do have a Carlos quote on that. You said, "You coward." Yeah. But again, if like it's interesting, if it's the guy who doesn't want to be seen, and so he's not going to step up and be the hero here, of like he's right. going to stay uh, underground. Mm-hmm. And then he starts to rethink back through the tape that he heard and we hear it again and we hear a different line reading on the line. He'd kill us if he got the chance where it's Frederick Forrest saying he'd kill us if he had the chance implying let's kill this guy before he kills us. And right. so he realizes that the couple that he thought he's been protecting the whole time are actually the murderers. Right. And when does he realize that he doesn't realize it till the news conference, right? Or does he realize it before then? I forget exactly when it happens in the movie. Yeah, because he starts like following them around a bit. Well, he's worried uh, about her. He wants to make sure that she hasn't been. Yes. Killed. And it turns out she was complicit in the murder the, the whole time. Of the yeah. director. So of the director. The yeah. guy that Robert Duvall, who he thought was going to kill her and her boyfriend that she was cheating on him with, they, her and her boyfriend ended, were actually plotting the whole time to kill Robert Duvall. That's correct. A really good ending. And. That line reading of he'd kill us if he had the chance. He'd kill us if he had the chance. This is how Walter Murch got that. Um, again, when they shot the scene in the park, they didn't get good audio on the actors. And so a couple days later, Walter Murch took uh, Cindy Williams and Frederick Forrest back to the park. And he recorded just them going through the scene a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he noted that on one of the takes, Frederick Forrest said the line weirdly. Uh, and he's like, oh, that's odd. He emphasized us. Uh, that's weird. He wasn't supposed to do that. And so this was something that Walter Murch totally created in the editing room, not something that was in Coppola's original script that, that you flip the line reading and understand the inflection differently. Hmm. But it was in the script that they were actually the killers, right? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. That was that was in the script. But the way that they tell you that in the movie with the different inflection was kind of a happy accident uh, that they just discovered. Um, and then the final scene is Harry Call back in his apartment. He's uh, he's playing his saxophone. He gets a call uh, with a recording of him playing his saxophone. He's like, shit, there's a bug in my apartment. And he tears apart the whole place looking for that bug, which he never finds. Carla said his landlord's going to be pissed. Uh, He doesn't just tear apart the place. He strips the walls and the flooring, pulls the flooring (laughs) out, the wood flooring. He pulls it out. He strips down (laughs) the wallpaper, yanks out the lighting fixtures. He loses his mind. Yeah. It's great. It's a great. He breaks apart a Virgin Mary statue thinking the bug is in there. Mm-hmm. Um, Carla said, maybe it's in your saxophone. Oh, yeah. That was one thing he didn't rip apart. That's a very common fan theory that the bug is in the saxophone. And listening to the uh, commentary by Coppola, he says, maybe it's in the saxophone or maybe there is no bug. 
Right. He said he says he doesn't know. Coppola says he doesn't know. I thought that there was no bug. It was just showing you that he's going crazy. Yeah. Uh, and then Carla's final quote, I'm so sick of this music. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Carla, you want to give this a letter grade? A minus. A minus. Okay. So you admit to uh, just being preoccupied with other stuff while watching this, but you think it's a good movie. I do. And okay. A minus stands for always watch a Craigslist movie with a full night's sleep and be hydrated. Okay. That's a lot for that one letter to stand for, but I'll I'll allow it. Uh, you want to do a scene from this movie? Yeah. Um, we could either do him and Terry Gar, or we could do the uh, the couple in the park having the conversation. What what sounds better to you? Um, let's do the couple in the park because I've already done Terry Gar before. <laughs> what did you do, Terry Gar? In uh, Tootsie. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay, cool. So, um, yeah, let's, uh, maybe we didn't hear everything, uh, on Harry Call's recording. Maybe he didn't get everything from the young couple in the, uh, the park. So let's hear a little more, uh, from them. Every time I see a homeless person, I just think, oh, where's his mother? Where's his father? Where's his cousin? Where's his grandfather? Every time you see a homeless person? Every time. I mean, 90% of my brain space is taken up with this kind of... Boy, that's a lot. That really is a lot. I know. I'm on a lot of medication. (sighs) Like right now, I'm just thinking, where's his mother? Where's his father? (laughs) Okay, well, stop looking at him, first of all. You don't have to look at him. Okay. I'll stop looking at him, and then I'll think of something else. Okay. balloons? Uh... Yeah, can I get you a balloon? I'd love a balloon. I haven't had a balloon since I was a little girl. Uh, how much for the balloon? 500 pennies. Five, 500 pennies? Okay, so uh, $5. $5 for a single balloon? Really? Okay, I'm not I'm not paying that. Sorry. Oh, Look, gosh. we we got to talk uh, we got to talk business. You know, you know right. why we uh, why we're here, right? Yeah, it's because we're trying to kill my husband. Okay. <laughs> Ixnay on the ill K husband hay. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. All right. could hear us. That homeless man. <sighs> that that homeless man mother, could be. Tra- his uh, stop thinking where's about his that. Okay. Like the homeless man is not surveilling us. You know, if anybody's surveilling us, it's like that uh, that sniper rifle up in that window there. But that couldn't be a microphone. That's probably just a rifle. Hmm. All right. Okay. And like, and this guy with the bags looks suspicious too. Like he's got a big earpiece. And oh my uh, god, like, is that Harrison Ford? It's not Harrison. Who is Harrison Ford? He's a really famous actor. I don't know about that. Are you enjoying this jazz, by the way? <sighs> I could do without it. <laughs> <laughs> when the red red robin comes bob bob bobbing along, it just feels like you know I like jazz music, but I don't know. It puts a lot of pressure on the situation to be, you know, interesting. He'd kill us if he got the chance. That homeless man? I don't think so. I no, think no, he'd trying to take a nap. He'd okay, kill so us. Thinking like, wh- where's his mother? Where's his father? Where's his he'd grandpa? kill us if he got the chance. God, God would kill us if he got the chance. No, not That's God. Keep not running God. as fast as we can. Maybe God will lose track. Of he'd him. kill us if he got the chance. He'd kill. The two of us, Harrison Ford. I don't think. No, so. I think he's a nice guy. Probably. Uh, I'm using too many pronouns. I think that's the problem. 
Uh, he'd kill us if he got the chance. Oh, you're talking about my husband. Yes, I'm talking about your husband. So we should kill him. Would kill us. Oh, I thought you said you didn't want to say that out loud. Oh, let's get away from this fucking mime. I need to kill someone. (laughs) (laughs) And scene. Yeah. Oh, we still got it. We still got it over there was the no phone. No eye contact involved there either. No eye contact. Yeah, it was very much. Uh, yeah, it was a bat. Amazing. Do they know uh, what that is? You have to explain it now. Let me take twenty minutes to you to explain <laughs> the improv form, the bat. So the conversation. Uh, I I'm glad that you uh, you gave it a begrudging A minus, and that uh, overall you think it it's a good movie. It was more begrud- begrudging towards myself than towards okay. the process or the movie. Well, uh, I think it's going to stay on the list, and it's going to maybe I even move should. move up a little bit. Uh, I, I like. I could see that. <laughs> again, I like it more every time I see it. Dog Day Afternoon is still my favorite though from this era. Okay. I need to see Chinatown again. Well, will. <laughs> you might get that chance. But next week, Carla, we're going to see one of two documentaries on Craigslist. We've already covered mm-hmm. Man on Wire, mm-hmm. which is uh, more of a traditional documentary. This is a specific type of documentary, a concert film. Ooh. It's a concert film. Does that even count as a movie? I guess we'll talk about that. Uh, this is a concert film made in 1984, directed by Jonathan Demme. It's about the band Talking Heads, and it's called Stop Making Sense. And we have a guest joining us. Uh, it is our wonderful friend who is a great singer and actress and improviser. Uh, you know her from Bajillion Dollar Properties, and her name is Tawny Newsom. I wish I was funnier in the improv scene we did with Tawny. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you talking about? This is in the future. I know. It just didn't, she was really funny and you were funny and I was just kind of bad. Can you make sure you tell everybody that? Oh. Do it. Do you really, do you want this on the podcast or is this just, is this something for me to cut out and then talk no, about this later? Can be, this can be on the podcast. Okay. <laughs> I don't even remember what the improv scene was. Okay. So next week, Craig's listeners, please tune in for a particularly bad improv scene <laughs> with Carla and Craig and Tawny, and we're going to talk Stop Making Sense. The list is an absolute good. The list is life. <laughs>